a long time ago on a comics page far, far away. Greetings and welcome to May the Panel Be With You, the Star Wars comic book show brought to you by the Punch-Up Entertainment Network. I am your humble host, Mike Gargoni, and joining me, as always, the T-16 back home to my womp rat nest dug deep into Beggar's Canyon, it's John Campbell. Hello, everybody. Oh, yes, man. Back to Tatooine, the center of the Star Wars universe. All things matter most on this planet is what I have been taught. I mean, look, people make that joke a lot, especially these days when we keep going back to Tatooine. Because once, you know, it's it's one thing we know, you know, we know that's where Luke came from. We know that's where Anakin uh, ultimately leads back to. So when you get the prequels, uh, you know, with the original movies, you're going like, okay, well, yeah, there's a Skywalker connection here. But like, when Boba Fett is entirely there and Ray Sky, you know, when Ray goes back there and the Mandalorian and- keeps swooping back in to visit his mechanic yeah, you- friend. Yeah, you're going like, man, this weird planet that I think was firmly established as a place nobody cared about is now the most important and most frequently used place. We we've been on Tatooine more than Coruscant. I look at it like the Smallville of Star Wars, right? Oh, like, there you go. Everyone calls it the insignificant backwater, but it is the origin point for one of the most important characters in the canon, so it True. can't be ignored. And I can't wait for the CW series Tatooine. Somebody It's going to star those Vespa riders from Book of Boba Fett, and we're we're all going to watch it. A lot of people were like, there's your backdoor pilot for the teen show. <laughs> I mean, I, do, I, I have heard a lot of, I, I don't know if it was an actual pitch, but I have heard at least a mock pitch of Tashi Station, the like teen drama. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Gotta get those power converters. Yeah, man. It's all about, <laughs> will they ever get those power converters? Yeah. Speaking of getting those power converters, yes, we are back on Tatooine because we are covering issue number 17 of Star Wars, Marvel Star Wars from 1977. No, this book was mm-hmm. released in November of 1978. Uh, we yeah. are back in the 70s, baby, and I couldn't be enjoying it more. Actually, I could oh, be because Godzilla could be here, but he's not. So. <laughs> I was going to say, there's a lot of comics I love from Marvel in the 70s. This is not necessarily one of them, but that's okay. <laughs> one of my favorite people that was making comics in the 70s is involved in this issue, though. It's true. Let's go through the creator list here, because it's a doozy. Uh, we've yeah. got writing, still Archie Goodwin, though guest plotter, we have Chris Claremont of Chris Claremont fame. Now, who is, is he? Did he do other comics? He did a few other comics, including... <laughs> possibly the most definitive run of the X-Men? I mean, can there is there an argument to I say think, anyone I else don't think there's, I don't think that's even possibly, right? Like, everything you love about the X-Men probably came from him, right? Like, and it's, for the most part. It's just so unheard of outside of, like, the originators of these books for someone to have control of these characters and this stable of characters for as yeah. long as Chris Claremont did. It was it 17 straight years on X-Men and not just X-Men, all X books, X-Men, New Mutants, X-Force, all of it. Yeah, he at least Excalibur, he at least launched all of those 
and remain the creative sort of showrunner of the X universe. Like the whole idea that there is an X universe really starts with him. Because mm-hmm. that's one of those things where it's like, okay, he didn't create the X-Men. Stanley created the X-Men. But every once again, everything you kind of know and love about the X-Men comes from him. Right. And like other people retained certain characters, like Wolverine showed up in an issue of the Hulk and like Yeah, that's a Len Wing creation, but like once again, Wolverine used as you know him to be used as Claremont. And like, like it's it's that Claremont didn't write Giant Size X Men number one, so like Colossus oh. and Storm and all those characters didn't come from him, but their characterization and what they became in the like cultural awareness of the X Men was all Claremont. Yes, exactly. Uh, and so that it's 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 a it's a thing where it's like, and he he did a bunch of other stuff too. But really, Claremont is X Men, and X Men is Claremont. And I feel like anytime anybody takes over that book, the mission is always like, well, I want to get back to what Claremont did. And and I have I still love the X Men books, and I've loved individual runs of it. But I am I, I am always of the opinion you're never gonna get back to that. No, and I think people who are trying to ape Claremont are doing so under the misinterpretation that you can get back to the 1980s. <laughs> right, yeah, there's sort of a thing where it's like the, he was the right guy in the right time and place, right? Mm-hmm. And everybody loves those comics so much, and so it's like, I don't know, man, can I just do what Claremont did? And you're like, no... And you can feel it sometimes. You're like, he's just trying to do what Claremont did. Now, I don't know what the difference is when they talk about Archie Goodwin's the writer, Chris Claremont's the plotter. I don't really know how that creative, uh, like what they did broke down Well, uh, let's get into the rest of our creative team here, and maybe we can uh, make some sense of this. Because we've got Herb Trimpe on pencils, we've got Al Milgram on inks, we've got uh, Mary Severin on colors, and Rick Parker on letters. Now, a lot of those names will be familiar to people who've read X-Men or just Marvel comics of this time as well. We've said some of their names in the past. Uh, Herb Trimpe specifically did a ton of work for Marvel all through the 70s and 80s. He was just a workhorse of a guy. Guy. In fact, at the same time, he's drawing the uh, monthly Godzilla comic for Marvel. And he does a lot of stuff with uh, Claremont, specifically the Captain Britain stuff and things like that are uh, is is a lot of uh, Claremont team up stuff. So mm-hmm. Al Milgram, yeah, also an artist of Marvel fame, starting obviously on inks here, but like he's done a ton of pencils as well. Um, yeah, and we've talked about Marie Severin before, but Marie Severin also becomes a huge force in Marvel. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, there's there's some real top talent. And, of course, little old Jimmy Shooters. Little still consulting this. Jimmy Shoots. Um, so, how I think this worked, if I had to guess based on the credits as presented here, a plotter, yeah. I would assume, if we stick to the traditional Marvel style of writer writes an outline, right. hands it over to the artist, artist does all of the panel layouts and arts, and then brings it back to the writer yeah. and they fill in the dialogue. I'm guessing... Claremont did the first bit and Goodwin came in with the second bit for dialogue. That's just a mm. guess on my part, though. It could be. That could be. I mean, there is a different, I will say, and I don't know, you know, I mean, I certainly see Claremont's name at the front of this when I open it. So, uh, or swipe my finger across the screen more accurately. Um, but uh, the, uh, but the, there's a different feel to this, I feel like, than the other things. And I don't know if that's some of me putting that on there, but there is a Claremontian sheen on this the phrase i like to use is 
purple prose. It's something to describe the flowery, over-verbose language that comic book writers of a certain era, specifically the 70s and 80s, really got into. And what set Claremont apart from all of his contemporaries is, and we saw this explicitly with Roy Thomas at the beginning of this run, is that some writers used it to just reiterate what you were already seeing on the... Uh, page via the art and it basically was just added words for words sake whereas someone like claremont was using it to embellish internal monologues to re-establish themes and like uh really really digging into the vibe of what they're trying to get across on the page and so it uh, most of the time enhanced the comic book experience as opposed to just doubling down on what you were already experiencing that's it exactly. He did it better than anybody else. Like he did it in a way where, yes, it was additive, not he's the only guy when I read, you know, we did a lot of we ragged on Roy Thomas, who's obviously a legend. But there was a lot of like, oh, come on, Roy Thomas. When Claremont did it, though, I was never like, oh, God, Claremont with the X-Men stuff. It's always like, ooh, that is insight into what Cyclops is thinking right now. Yeah, and that's not as that is not to say that Chris Claremont could not go on ad nauseum oh. at times. <laughs> the man indulged, indulged, but generally, generally speaking, I understood at least what he was trying to do, even if it was uh, overindulgent. Right, and I, I think part of what I would like to do with this specific issue is maybe point out the parts where it's like, okay, this is more of a Claremontism, and yes. this feels more like comic booky of the time. Yeah, because let's so let's let's look at this right away with this cover here, promising oh so much action, and also I feel like it's almost like. Hey, sorry, kids, your hero Luke Skywalker kind of hasn't been in this book, so let's give a whole Luke Skywalker issue. But because we can't progress the story too much, it is going to be a flashback. It's going to be a flashback that will establish almost everything we already knew about him. Yeah, and basically... (laughs) Because this is basically just the first 20 minutes of A New Hope, but sort of rejiggered and like... But like it covers so many of the same beats as like... I want to leave this place. You can't. You got to stay here and farm. Oh, no, but I'm a hero with skills I can use. Yeah, and it's also like setting up little bits and pieces that would become relevant in the shooting script and cut deleted scenes of A New Hope, but weren't actually impactful on the movie itself. Latching, I mean, latching so onto like a one-off line about I used to shoot, you know, Womp Rats with my T-16 or whatever, and you're like, yeah. Okay, well, it's like, somebody goes, oh, that could be a whole issue of a comic, that one Luke line, you know? I used to bullseye romp romp rats. Uh, Save your comments. Speaking of T-16s, we get them featured prominently here on this cover. We've got an action pose of Luke. Uh, We've got some Tusken Raiders threatening. We've got some Jawas in the distance. We've got a crashed land speeder and some T-16s shooting past him in the the background. The T-16 is interesting because I believe the only time we actually see it in a movie is just the model of it, right? That Luke has. In A New Hope, yes. Uh, Yeah. And later on in the Obi-Wan series, when we get back to the Lars farmstead, we'll see it parked inside like one of their little pit holes. Uh, But yeah, for the most part. It's a thing we more know about than really ever had like a big moment in any of the the movies. No, the T-16 Skyhopper was uh, something we've just been told that Luke... It was basically like the tractor of uh, uh, like flying starships. Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of why I think there's not a lot of big action built around it in anything. Because you're like, well, 
It's a functional device for the planet of Tatooine. Yeah, uh, you weren't going to break orbit in a T-16 Skyhopper. No, no, no. It's called a Skyhopper, not a Starhopper. It's true. Which is apparently what you call people in this world. Yeah, yeah, that's a totally different thing. I do want to note that, like, why is Luke carrying Han's blaster in this cover oh, yeah. here? Uh, yeah, absolutely clock that as well. That is not a Luke Skywalker weapon. Um, I don't know. I don't know. They just have that. Also, this weird pose that he's doing i mean What's that's, other that's why is his other hand like a claw that's hey. a classic like pulp hero action pose basically every other comic featuring a space adventurer would have this pose it's a very flash gordon-y yeah. pose there's no question flash gordon john carter like they'd all have this pose yeah. well i bet well and george lucas didn't know anything about those obviously uh -huh. not yeah fired for that yeah uh, <laughs> and, he, and he never read dune all right not once, not once. <laughs> love lucas but there's no question the man took a lot of influence from places and, and what what kurosawa movies who yeah hey at least he never goes like the james cameron route of like i'm only oh. ever inspired by myself no no he's <laughs> always been like i took all the things that both star wars and indiana jones are like all the things i saw as a kid went into my brain and got filtered through the you know mm -hmm. no and i i have always the there's way less ego on lucas than cameron which is why i have uh, a much more uh, as much as I can be like okay whatever. Uh, by the way, are you seeing the artist credit on this cover? The Cockrum, yeah, yeah, Dave Cockrum, mm -hmm. who's uh, at this point a le already a legendary uh, X Men artist working with Claremont, so mm -hmm. pretty good. And I think that's Dom McLeod doing the the inks or colors there too, who goes on to do a lot of stuff at. Uh... So they pretty good, man. There's a lot of big Marvel talent on this one weird one-off issue yeah and you know what it shows like compared to some of the other issues we've been reading recently let's this get into one this is first very page here um, we go i mean i will say <laughs> it's it's a little hyperbolic with the title crucible in this weird like conan font <laughs> it was an age of darkness an age of myth <laughs> you're just going like whoa especially for like it's kind of a fun little adventure story about something that happened to him back on tatooine crucible <laughs> right not a darth vader story no no uh, and like i understand what it's going for like the whole point of this story is that like luke is passing some personal test before the events of the Star Wars. and I'm so, not even questioning the title as much as I'm questioning the presentation. Of yeah, it. no, it's the lettering and the font that we have problems with. <laughs> My God. Um, so here we've got Luke Skywalker at the controls of, I'm going to say the best rendered image we've seen of the Millennium Falcon cockpit. Yeah, and it's weird. I was trying to think, looking at this, do we ever see it from the outside looking straight through to the other side? Usually the camera, quote-unquote, is oh. like inside the cockpit, and if we're seeing out the window, it's from the side yeah. of one of the characters. I don't think we've ever seen like directly straight through it. Not that I can recall. It's really cool to see. It really gives it a sense of realism in a way, right? Where you're going like, oh, this is, a, this is an enclosed space inside of the ship and outside of it is the openness of space it looks cool man yeah no and like obviously there's like little nitpicky details of like where are the seats behind the seats but whatever that where's that why is the floor yellow um yeah yeah but there's also 
this console, I think, is bigger than it is in the movie. Like, it's or, uh, uh, not wider, but deeper. Than, look at how far back this console yeah. goes. Yeah, and again, those are just, like, little nitpicky things. Oh, sure. But, but I, I mean, overall, I was immediately, when I opened this, I went, wow, somebody really has lovingly rendered this for a comic that has been mostly like, I don't know. For most of the original chunk of this book, the cockpit of the Mud Am Falcon was just a room in negative space somewhere. The fact that we it's have an idea physically where it is now makes me feel good. Absolutely. So Luke's at the helm, as it says, at the controls of the Millennium Falcon. Not sure we need two exclamation points on that. That seems a little excessive um, because the Millennium Falcon isn't actually doing anything right now. Luke is just basically running the night shift. John, we'd only had one Star Wars movie at this point. Just hearing the name Millennium Falcon is enough for excitement. <laughs> this book is just going, did you hear it, kids? It's the Millennium Falcon! The toys um, are in stores now! Especially <laughs> since, once again, yeah. <laughs> Go to Macy's! Um, <laughs> Sears has it in stock! Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, oh, yeah, th I mean, this is the Claremontian sort of feel, though. True, he once called the smuggling ship a piece of junk. But that was before fighting and serving aboard her. Exulting! Wow! Mm -hmm. That's a word. Exulting in the feel of her instruments, he finds his mind jogged back to another time, another place across the galactic reaches to his home world. Yeah. We dissolve fade to Tatooine. Dude, I mean, talk about this is Claremont. We're in a Star Jammers story, man. I um, know. Like, Tatooine. That's the thing. This page, this next page is just a series of panels showing us Tatooine and like you could you can feel this movie, right? The slow push yeah. in as we slowly like focus in on a womp rat that eats another animal and then it sniffs yeah. around. This is legitimately one of my favorite pieces of art in this comic so far. I love this because we're so used to when Roy Thomas is going, the rich orange planet. Like they've so, every planet has just been defined by what color it is. Here they're talking about endless miles of sand swept desert. And all this purpley prose is working because it's this barren imagery that shows, yes, it's that. And then, yes, the, the, the food chain that we're seeing of the womp rat and the thing that's eating it. Mm -hmm. Well, no, the green thing is the womp rat here. Sorry, it's um, whatever the like desert mouse thing or whatever. That is Maud Deep, the mouse that jumps. Um. Yeah. I, <laughs> once again, nobody read Dune. Nobody read so Dune. You know, the un, unfamiliar that obscure science fiction work. <laughs> but like the 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 it it eats the desert mouse, then it sniffs the air, then it gets shot. Like it's great, man. Yeah. No, I, I the 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 feel the vibe that he's setting up here of these like kind of cycles of violence. Because we, we start on with this prose of a world seemingly too harsh, too barren to sustain life. Yet life yeah. is here and in great variety, almost as varied as the forms of death. Man, I mean, that that is like classic sort of. And that's over three panels as we slowly push in on this mouse getting chomped by the womp rat. I, I believe actually he's being chonked, according to. Oh, the actually, yes, you're correct. The sound effects do make it clear he's being chonked. It was a distinct chunk. Uh, <laughs> uh, but what I like about this is this book, one of the big complaints we have about this book is it's always just like, ah, ah, it's all over the place. I like, this is one of the rare moments where the story slows down and is like, no, let it sink in. This is this is sort of that Claremont thing where it does feel like him, where it's like, no, I, I've got the confidence to be able to slow the book down and bring you into a setting. Mm-hmm. 
No, and that especially Roy Thomas would never have done. No, but especially like Tatooine, something we're so familiar with now, 40, yeah. 50 years later. But yeah. at the time, it was just 20 minutes of one movie. So giving us more of a vibe for the planet. It's so interesting that there's the, to see this level of detail put on Tatooine, which while not much is established and then meanwhile a pl- a water planet with full on pirate ships is just like yeah you know that's a thing and you're like wait wait whoa what <laughs> I have a lot of questions because uh, i actually and something i was trying to figure out before we were recording uh but i could not track down is whether or not this is the first visual uh womp rat that is seen in star wars cuz they're never actually seen in the movie no it's once again this whole not until the special edition that. anyway well, yeah, but this whole issue is taken off of that one line, basically, really. Yeah, pretty much. I used to shoot Wombrats with T6, in my T-16 back home. and Somebody went, There's 20 pages of a comic. Well, uh, and in this last panel here, we see Luke, not in his T-16, but in his land speeder, uh, vidowing this Wombrat. No! Uh, with an energy rifle, I believe. Yeah, because on the next page... Uh, we get him like careening out and like exalting to himself. I, I will say, I never thought the land speeder was capable of something like this. Because I mean, it, it, like the land speeder hovers, right? That's this because... thing is full on flying. Sure, but also I don't think the land speeder we saw in the movie ever like gunned it. It's true. It's true. It just seems like, boy, at this point you can basically fly in this thing. And I mean, like but that... the the captioning even goes on to say like, at, and the fact that. It, in that fight, his banking landspeeder had almost flipped over. Doesn't even pierce young Luke Skywalker's enthusiasm. This is this is true. This is true, and this is definitely reminds me of my of me with my toy landspeeder having it no longer follow whatever rules the movie had. Because in the movie, it was wheels that they used Vaseline on the lens to fudge out to make it look like it was hovering. Or when the magic for people, Gurgen. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was though. Which actually. Was a pretty good effect. Yeah, it made it look like a weird, like hovering pad underneath it. Yeah, it did. It was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, so are we? Met, Luke Skywalker is pretty psychotic here, right? I mean, well, because he's all happy that he's just like, "Hey, I just shot a womp rat one handed with my yeah. power rifle while also flying this land speeder." Thank God, no one was around because this is crazy, reckless behavior. He's one handing a rifle while steering dangerously this land speeder. I actually think this is some great characterization because you're talking sure. about a kid who was raised on like an exceptionally rural farm. And what are yeah. they doing to pass the time? It's doing weird, dangerous shit. And if it happens no. to also like kill womp rats who are chewing on power converters, then great. It's very much what Lucas was writing about, right? I mean, because Luke Skywalker on Tatooine is very much based on bored George Lucas growing up in Modesto, California and hot rodding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, know, that was exactly. very much his sort of thing, which is, you know, very faithfully represented in the movie American Graffiti about kids with souped up cars and nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a the thousand way, stories I, of that, like kids going off into the woods and doing shit because they're bored. Like that's half yeah. the Amblin film. I want to point people towards American Graffiti. I mean, everybody always talks about Star sure. Wars, but American Graffiti is a great movie. Um, that is, and there's some there's some DNA of Star Wars in it, even though it's not a sci-fi movie. Um, so uh, yeah, he he does. He is God. He's happy about this though. You won't be nine on any. Uh, <laughs> I do have a lot of questions about moisture farming. Moisture farming because we get a lot more talk about it here. 
your vaporator cables. So, vaporator is a great sci-fi word. I'm pretty sure I know the mechanics of this. I will explain if you want me to, John. Well, can, all right. Yeah, this is like, I'm going to end up with half the episode's going to be this. Event. Can you give us a succinct, as succinct as possible explanation of moisture farming? Okay. Tatooine Desert Planet, right? Yeah. The only moisture, and actually Dune goes into this mechanically a lot more, honestly. Uh, yeah. Is so, like, well, of course. The best way to capture water in this ecosystem is with the condensation that happens uh, via, like, the dew cycle, right? Right, yes. So what a moisture farmer does is they have these evaporators that are collecting dew and condensation on these big machines that are spread out over the course of a field that then funnel into these evaporators that turn into liquid water and then funnel that into cisterns somewhere else on the farm. That's moisture farming. Yeah, I mean, then that makes complete sense. So but, and, when, and, when a womp rat is gnawing on evaporator cable, they're like trying to get at the water inside. Right. And that's obviously bad news. That's bad for business. Absolutely. Now, uh, yeah. We get a brief little bit of the Tusken Raiders here at the bottom of the page. I do love this further uh, captions down at the bottom here. Satisfied, mm-hmm. Luke steers toward home, unaware that his every movement has been observed. These watchers, too, seem satisfied. Tatooine's life-death cycle extends no further, for now. And I like the silhouetted image of the Tusken Raiders on the Bantha. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's a little bit more artistic without being <laughs> there. Without being like, whenever this book gets artistic, it really wants to let you know that it's artistic. That's just kind of nice, and it creates this once again. This vibe to Tatooine, the harsh sun, which makes the silhouettes of if we are looking at this through a camera, we would not be able to make out anything other than the shapes of these guys. It's supposed to be this Lawrence of Arabia grand, you know, uh, uh, vista. Mm -hmm. Um, I do like we get a line of dialogue here from Luke talking to himself about affording the macro binoculars. I had kind of assumed reading this panel that like, oh, is this issue going to be the origin story of the macro binoculars? I thought the same thing too. I'm like, finally, the story of where he got those binoculars in the movie. Um, They're just going like, man, we've got one movie. We're going to have to explain everything in that movie, man. I Um, mean, yeah, that's what happened. (laughs) I mean, it is sort of because once again, we've talked about this is especially this first arc is them just kind of uh you know treading water till empire comes out right they're like we can't move this plot too much but you think about all the star wars merchandise that came out and it's just like we got to make toys of everybody and that means everybody needs names and that means everybody's gonna get a backstory and that that of course will start here and then just explode in the 80s yeah so i mean by the time we grew up we knew I know more about Star Wars from the backs of action figure cards than I do from any movie or book. I mean, this. I would keep those. I would keep the the backs of that to go, that's who this guy is. And okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Han Solo's height is this. (laughs) Uh, We get back to the Lars farmstead just as the suns are beginning to set. And we get a radically younger Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru. Yeah, this really threw me. I understand this is supposed to be the past, but Luke looks like he does in the movie, and they look 20 years younger. No, yeah, no. This Actually, this whole sequence, or not necessarily the sequence, but the whole depiction of Owen and Beru here doesn't make a lick of sense because they talk later about how Biggs is just about to leave for the 
the so, Academy, so which the, happens the, like right at the start of A yeah. New Hope. So we're like, this is like two days before A New Hope. Yeah, yeah. And yet, Uncle Owen and Aunt Brew are 20 years younger, easily. Yeah, and for some reason, Aunt Brew is wearing like a housewife-like frock. Yeah. I was going to say, like, all of a sudden she's on, like, Father Knows Best. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I don't know I where they got the depiction of Baru from here, especially. Like, at least Owen's kind of got the same, like, jowly features and, like, oh, ruffled and hair. He, look at how fucking pissed he is in this, man. He's just, I mean, this guy is just not having it. If there's one thing we know about Owen Lars is that he is irascible. He is. But I don't know, man. He they really take it to the next level in this. I feel like. I uh, mean, this. Is, I mean, look, Joel Edgerton, uh, Uncle Owen, is really on Obi Wan's case in the in the new show. Oh but, sure. Uh, yeah, that guy is. I mean, there were some times where I went, Jesus, man, take it easy. Uh, uh, this is also an era in which the relationship between Owen and Anakin is in no way established. We don't even know Anakin as a name at this point. Yeah, no, I don't think we do. Because um, it's all just your brother, that brother of yours, you know, right. your father, whatever, right? Uh, well, and, I, and and yes, which is, of course, very funny to read all this, you know, with the caveat of I understand they don't know, but it is very funny to think, like, ever since he abandoned this farm, I'm like, the farm he visited twice ever? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also... Correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure Owen isn't actually related to Anakin in any way, shape, or form because he's from a no. previous marriage of he is he is the stepbrother because the his father marries Shmi Skywalker right 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 between episodes one and two and yeah. Owen is just already his son yeah, yeah yeah that's what I thought so like like Anakin and Owen cross paths for less than twenty four hours. In entirely, and in that time, Anakin slaughters an entire village of Tuscan Raiders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they have no relationship at all. Effectively, I'm, and, and, my head canon was always that like Shmi talked about her son a lot, and that Anakin oh, was sort yeah. of like a local celebrity because of the whole Bunta Eve thing. Well, and it actually makes sense that. Owen is so down on him because he only does have this like, I heard this guy was great, then he ended up being a bastard. Mm -hmm. And so that's why Luke, don't even bother talking about him. Yeah. Like, that does make sense. But here it's like, my beloved brother who left me here to run our family moisture farm. Well, because on this page we have Luke basically asking if he can go to a party because Biggs is leaving yeah. for the Academy and they're, oh, gonna throw they're throwing a real rager for Biggs. No, no, no. He doesn't even say Rager because he actually explicitly leaves out the details of this party. Um. Yes. Biggs Darklighter. I, I also love the idea of they wouldn't know his friend Biggs. He goes, you know, Biggs, Biggs Darklighter. <laughs> oh, that Biggs. Um, well, there's Biggs Darklighter. There's B Biggs Flatrunner. There's Biggs Rock Wielder. Like there's like a thousand Biggs running around tattooing these days. Biggs at Biggs. Uh, so yeah, they, 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 I don't want you hanging out with that dark lighter kid. Um, but Baru has this line of just like, oh, and Biggs is Luke's best friend. He'll be gone a year or more. Would you let a brother leave without saying goodbye? Oh, no, no. Would you? It is you let a brother leave without saying goodbye. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
implying that was Anakin. Mm-hmm. And enough, Baru. We've talked about this. <laughs> I knew that guy for less than 24 hours. Don't you what <laughs> We met briefly in passing once. I love that Baru actually has a huge misread on the whole relationship. And that's what's happening here. <laughs> Baru's uh, like, but he was your brother. And Owen's just like, I told you, I barely knew the guy. Uh, can we talk about what's a Treadwell? Type of droid. Okay, there you go. Uh, because uh, you, you can go, young man. I love this. Oh, you can go to this party, but don't ask for anything else until we have a functioning Treadwell. This is it, kid. You get one. <laughs> oh, they won't, sir. By the way, does he call him sir? In the, this, this seems more like... Uh, uh, He's more like uh, deferring to Owen than he is in the movie. Look, in the movie, oh, yeah. they they have they have two scenes together, and then Owen is a smoldering corpse. So <laughs> yeah, it's true, it's true. And then here's uh, we go to the next page, and <laughs> she's making a salad, and there's a salt and pepper shaker. Brew is like slicing very... a desert potato. What's happening? Here? Yeah, I don't know. Into a bowl of salad. It's the salt and pepper shaker that look like just any salt and pepper shakers that get me. Because Star Wars is so removed from reality that when there are just things that look exactly as they do in our world it weirds me out. Have you seen the, uh, so we're both a big fans of the Andor show. Um, oh yeah. And, uh, Cyril, one of the antagonists on that show uh, eats cereal. Uh, oh yes. Have you seen the Cyril it- cereal thing? Yes. <laughs> But even they make the cereal look kind of weird. Yeah, yeah, But, like, that they actually produced that as, like, they a did. thing you can they buy. Did. <laughs> they did. But I remember people even, even it being sort of a weird, I remember people going, like, there's cereal in Star Wars? Like, even that still weirded some people out. But I am glad they made that cereal. Oh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about, like, weird things that just happen to be in Star Wars in this issue, too. Because Salt and Pepper Shakers is definitely right up there. But, yes, we get a romance comic and Baru here. Um, yeah, man. <laughs> uh, talking about how, like, oh, Luke, don't blame your uncle. He loves you in his own gruff way. And just, you know. Here's, uh, a, here's a question. Or here's a thing. This is my big theory. No, he doesn't. He's been burdened by this kid that some weird Jedi handed him. <laughs> and Owen is just like, God damn it. See, and especially recontextualized after the Obi-Wan show, my read is these days, Owen was burdened with this kid that a weird Jedi just handed him out of nowhere. Yeah. And he knows that Luke is tied into this like big, wilder galaxy out there. And he is doing his absolute level best to be like, I don't want you to end up in that craziness because that's what got my stepmom killed that's what got your father killed that's what got your mom killed and if you can just stay here on this moisture farm and i raised you from a baby so you're effectively my son he is the opposite of the jonathan kent approach where jonathan kent approach of like someday you will do something great but not now he's like you will never do anything great and that is my job to make sure of that i need to make sure you never achieve greatness because greatness equals heartache and complications in your life that you don't need the last time one of these fucking skywalkers embraced his destiny he (laughs) took over the galaxy man (laughs) look one skywalker got off tatooine once and the whole galaxy was ruined for a hundred years so we need to keep these Skywalkers in their place, all right? We can't have this one getting a big head, too. Uh, 
And so, yeah, there is the, the line from Baru here where he goes, perhaps Owen just depended too much on your father staying with him on the farm. Once again, of course, we don't know that, but it is just very funny to read going, mm-hmm. he was never on this farm. He has no connection to this farm. I like to imagine that, like, Anakin showed up that one day and uh, he was like, oh, great, somebody else to help on the farm. Oh, and he's leaving. <laughs> oh, what is Because, I mean, really, if you want, it's been a little while since I've watched Attack of the Clones. That is definitely surprise, my surprise. least watched prequel, that's for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but, like, it's pretty quick from, like, he arrives, Shmi's missing, he's out tracking down Tusken Raiders. He's not even there like an hour, probably at that farm. I think Owen and Bruce spend more time with Padme than they do Anakin. I, absolutely. Uh, they definitely do. Uh, and then <laughs> and then uh, Anakin confesses committing genocide to her, and she's like, we all make mistakes. Padme, <laughs> Padme rolls with a confession of genocide so well in that movie. Um, <sighs> I don't think yeah. well is the word to use there. I think like... Revealing it's underlying enough. psychological trauma of Padme Amidala is what's happening there. Yeah, because she's just like, oh no, that's yeah, that's that's terrible. Uh, yeah, in his own gruff way, I do like that. Uh, uh, and then of course, I mean, this is where we're getting into like, yeah, yeah, this is all the stuff from the movie, right? Mm-hmm. I just there's part of me that feels like there should be more. Maybe I'm just afraid to grow up as a weird lot to face responsibility like Uncle Owen. I mean, I guess that's any kid, especially if 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 this gruff Uncle Owen is your father figure, going like, I don't want to be that guy. Well, and you got to figure Luke is a nineteen year old at this point, based yeah. on the timeline that we have established. Despite what once Owen again, and Brew actually look like, once again, Owen and Brew have days to live, and Luke will soon be off on an adventure. Right. And so, but as like any 18, 19 year old, he's confronting oh, this yeah. idea of just like, am I destined to? become my surroundings right and just like roll into the lifestyle that i've seen for my entire life or are the daydreams i have something i can actually achieve right and and we're we're recovering that ground here because once again he's literally about to have the new a new hope happen so of course he's feeling that because we're just rolling right into that and then here we've got him in the garage Messing with his dad's car, basically, right? But I think Claremont really under... uh, I I think he underlines this whole idea, though, when he brings in the captioning that says, It doesn't occur to Luke that he might not come back from a wreck. He's young. His own mortality seems a distant thing. So it's like Luke is dreaming these big dreams, but like, unlike Owen, he's not thinking about this bigger danger that might exist in seizing one's destiny. Because that's the thing where it's like he doesn't. Uh, well, he might not come back. He's 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 it. It's a great Claremont thing, right? Where it's mm-hmm. like Luke is saying, "Yeah, Owen will be upset if I wreck in the I wreck this." And then Claremont's narration goes, "Or or you could die, Luke. Have you considered that?" And it's like, <laughs> nah. One of my favorite things about Claremont narration is how it almost has like a confrontational air towards their protagonists a lot of times but don't jump too quick cyclops like there right. is sort of that kind of stuff right yeah scott summers this poor deluded fool abandoned his <laughs> wife madeline Pryor, and now he yeah. reaps the consequences it is it's just going will you look at this dumb bastard right here <laughs> then okay this is the weirdest part of the comic right Oh, Luke's fantasy sequence? Because, yeah, he starts, he squints his eyes, grips the controls, and ceases to be Luke Skywalker, Tatooine farm boy. 
and in his mind's dreaming eye, he is Commander Luke Skywalker, leading a flight of starfighters into combat. But they're, like, made-up starfighters? It's like a Flash Gordon sequence. Yeah, it's like, Battlestar Galactica. Those are vipers. Uh, they really do look like vipers, yeah. Um, <laughs> the Which, uh, by the way, the Mages of Battlestar Galactica never saw Star Wars. No, so no, not no. once, no. No, no, totally new thing. Uh, but the thing about this that just gets me is, like, he he lives in a world where space fighters exist. So wouldn't you be imagining yourself in an X-Wing or something you know about? Or To be fair, like, X-Wings are just, like, what the Rebellion had on hand. There's lots of different types of fighters out there. There are lots of different types of fighters. What I'm saying is they're they're not these. <laughs> sure. We ever see. These look like jet planes. And then, because he's a 19-year-old boy, this fantasy quickly turns sexual. Yeah, he has this fantasy sequence of him, like, stopping a slaver ship, and then one of the pretty slave girls is super appreciative of his rescue. And It's just violence and sex, man. <laughs> he's 19 years old. Like, that's all there yeah. is. Yeah. It is crazy to think about. Luke is 19 in that first movie. He matures so fast as a result of the events of the Star Wars movies. Well, it really does help that... <laughs> this is going to sound terrible. Uh... Mark Hamill's car accident really did age up him as a age person up, and it, him like, as a character. If you think about, he's 19 in the first movie and he's what, 23, 24 maybe by the time you get to Return of the Jedi? Uh, yeah, something like that. But the, he's still so young, but he's just like, now it's like, I'm a wizened badass. Well, because he lived through a war. <laughs> Yeah, it is. Yeah, I guess it is kind of that like World War II thing where it's like those guys just they were just different because of that experience. Yeah, exactly. That was, they were made of different stuff. You look at pictures of uh, Barack Obama before he was president and after he was president and People that, love that. the shocking the, difference. Uh, the promo poster for the new season of Last Week Tonight with John Oliver, which is him from the first season sitting next to him now looking gray haired and haggard oh no <laughs> very funny and he's just like <laughs> i haven't yeah it's very funny uh because he's all just like mm. uh all right so yeah uh but that's that'll have to <laughs> i mean let's just be honest owen's about to walk in on something here well thankfully i think uh, Luke is shaken out of his reverie before yeah. anything too masturbatory happens because yeah. uh, Luke is shaken a belt, awake. A belt had been loosened at best. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> we don't know what's under that tuc uh, the tunic no, that he wears. No, thank God. Uh, let's just say thank God that's covering that area there. Um, For all we know, those leggings and uh, like boots he has are only thigh high. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, once again, <laughs> here comes Owen just pissed i've been yelling for the last five minutes i'm shutting down the external dad's turning off the lights you're adding exclamation points where there are none john <laughs> but i what i am doing as a trained voice no uh is uh, <laughs> is i'm looking at the expression on his face which yeah. is just like yes mm. he he's got a very like grumpy angry look on his face and He's just wishing that Luke wouldn't be daydreaming so much. Well, because he does get... And this is a classic dad line. If you'd put as much dedication into maintaining our vaporators, we'd have the mo richest moisture farm on the planet, you lazy bastard. You know, like, <laughs> but Luke, to his credit, says, I'm going to try, Uncle Owen. You'll see after tomorrow, after the party. Yeah, well, and then here we go, man. It's Beggar's Canyon. Oh, yeah. 
I like how all the different T-16s here ha- are different colors. Like the kids who are flying them are just like... Well, that that does feel very much like those uh, biker kids from uh, Boba Fett. Mm-hmm. Mostly I like that Biggs is his hot pink. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, but I do love I do love the line of any adult on Tatooine will tell you to avoid this twisting, mild, deep testament to the power of erosion. Mm-hmm. And any teenager will tell you it's the only place on a dull backwater world to find a few thrills. I love the phrase "mild, deep testament to the power of erosion" to describe that's, a canyon. That's Claremont, right? Like that. I just that's yes. so, that's so. It's great because it's such a needlessly complex description, but it's great. Like, I love that. Like, there's no reason to who would ever describe something as that, but it's so awesome. But I just love the idea about like everybody's like, oh, I would never go there. And the kids are like, that's where we party, baby. (laughs) All the the grown ups are like, that hill's really steep. I hate that hill. All the kids are like, it's the best hill to ride our skateboards down. Hell yeah, man. (laughs) And if you don't mind risking the family skyhopper, I mean, this is, this is full on American graffiti at this point, right? Where it's like, we got the car for the night and we're going to go race it. Mm-hmm. So long as you don't mind risking the family skyhopper and maybe yeah. your own neck. Ooh, yeah. And of course, teenage George Lucas was in a terrible car wreck, which is why he stopped hot rodding and started writing stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get uh, Biggs Darklighter showing up here with all of his mustachioed glory. Uh, that refer to are they talking to each other? They don't have don't, any headsets. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it, John. Don't worry about it. <laughs> this is like Fast and the Furious where they can just yell across cars yep. at each other. Yes, and everyone's <laughs> perfectly audible even though they're flying rocket ships. Yeah, whatever, man. <laughs> I see you waggling your wings. Hot shot. There's a great big one. I assume they have like internal comms in their... They must, they must. It's, just, it's always when you get in the later in the X-Wings, they've got the calm lengths. Sure, here. sure, sure. They must have just like, I just, <laughs> in between my tunes, man. Because that's the other thing I imagine is just like, like when we go to the shot of the of Beggar's Cannon, it's like, oh yeah, and they're pumping the jams. <laughs> As they, yeah, on this next page, we see them pulling down into Beggar's Canyon. I imagine one of them's got Judas Priest turned all the way up, breaking the law, breaking the law. That's absolutely what's, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely what's going on here and so yeah there I, I i will just say this did george lucas get pod racing from this because this is a little pod race-esque this whole sequence yeah i mean we get this whole sequence of the the t-16s the skyhoppers racing through beggars canyon and it's like a dynamic fun piece of comic book art like we've complained in the past about how like spaceship movement is a hard thing to depict in it really uh, is complex, yeah. especially in space, right? Like this is actually a little easier because you have like geographical things to compare. Well, and to. they're actually, but unlike some of the other issues we've read, they're actually really rendering the 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 geographic and geological formation here. It, the, the 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 just once again, there seems to be more of attention to detail in this issue than we've seen before. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely, and th- we got to give all props to the arts here. Like absolutely, uh, Her- Herb Trimpe and. and um, Oh my God, uh, Al Milgram between the pencils yeah. and the inks do a great job of uh, rendering detail that can help us differentiate and uh, translate movement that is in a still image. For sure, and that's that's it's awesome to see that. Uh, I love all the shadow. The inking is great here. All the shadow work that is, you know, once again, if we're going into a canyon on a planet with two suns, then there's a lot of sun, but shadow. 
great stuff. Mm-hmm. But we do have guy. a ton of Claremont uh, oh. captions here. This is where Claremont's just like, my time to shine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Luke I mean, doesn't. Or what is it? Uh, Luke doesn't. Referring to expect any breaks, what Big says. Yeah. And it seems that none will be necessary. As the starting signal is given, he power dives for the yawning canyon mouth to grab the lead into the snaking two-mile stretch of sheer, walled nightmare. Yeah, it's great, man. <laughs> I mean, uh, I love phrases like yawning canyon mouth. Um, once again, it's just, it's it's so good. Uh, I also love this, this G.I. Joe character screaming in his, uh, look at the coloring on his green and yellow outfit. I believe this is the G.I. Joe Skyhopper. <laughs> yeah. That's the that's what you get on Christmas morning when your parents couldn't get you like Duke or Lady J. You're like, I got Skyhopper. <laughs> hey, beat Snow Job any day. Well, anything's better than Snow Job. <laughs> and I always had a certain affinity for Shipwreck with his parrot. Oh, yeah. I do love good, good Shipwreck. Um, so we see that like some of the other fighters are bailing out. They can't quite take the twisty canyons. Uh, we get this like back and forth between Luke and Biggs. Yeah, that's pretty fun. They're, uh, they're we have this dancing. sequence where like, okay, now they're the only two ships in the canyon. And on this next page, we have Biggs being like, okay, I'm going to get right in front of you. And Luke being like, I still got time to pass you one more time. And Biggs, that sneaky sneaky boy just like throws on his brakes forcing luke to pull up out of the canyon i love how well rendered this uh engine exhaust from luke's t16 is rendered here look at that right yeah no that's some really good looking like fire and afterburner effects i love all the swooping of the like exhaust trails showing like how the ships are maneuvering Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's a big thing when you talk about conveying the movement of it. It does that really well with the with the exhaust trails. And then this this missile firing looks awesome. Right. Because the whole thing is like you fly down Beggar's Canyon so you can get to this Womp Rat nest and target the Womp Rats in your T-16 back home. Yeah, which apparently has missiles on it now. Uh, is it missiles or is it just firing blasters out of its front? Down little... charge missiles. Uh, it the... does say missiles. It does say missiles. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Sure. Missiles. Why not? Somebody's just like, somebody's just like, Jesus, Biggs, you brought missiles? Now, okay, when they say missiles, missiles yeah. can mean a lot of things. I I, I, I am looking at, the, that drawing is missile-esque. I think this is the Star Wars equivalent of a, like a farming potato gun. We're going to use these to blow up rats. We're not going to take well, down a Star Destroyer with these things. What we call missiles. Sure. Uh. <laughs> Well, missiles, as I always love in every James Bond movie. Proton torpedoes, these ain't. No, 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 certainly not, certainly not. But it's just like, oh my god, missiles. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then yeah, that that crazy Biggs, he sure is something. And oh, yeah, uh, I want to get to uh, a weird uh, on the next page here when Biggs mm-hmm. is flying out, and then there's this exchange with him and Luke. Very odd placement for me on that first word bubble. I understand they don't want to interrupt the thing. But for half a second, I'm like, where is that? Okay, that's also Luke talking. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love him. Yeah, it's awkward placement. And that's that does speak to a little, like, maybe, like, cut down the dialogue a little bit, Claremont. Maybe they don't need to be saying all that stuff, Goodwin. I don't uh, know. Yeah, because I'm not, uh, I'm not, you could probably eliminate that, actually. The way to go, Biggs, I wouldn't have dared tried what you did. Uh, you could have maybe just gone, guess that's why you're headed for the Academy. 
Yeah. You could have just done the second one. Yeah. But whatever. It's a 70s comic. There are a little too many words. Moment, but it is just like, at first I thought, is that big? No, because he refers to, okay. Um, I don't know who this cool guy is having a drink with his leg up on the thing, but he's pulling a serious Riker. That's Deke. You don't remember Deke? Oh, beloved Deke. This is Deke. And we also uh, get Cammy, a name drop for Cammy here, which we did get a name drop from Fixer earlier in this issue. Yes, we did. We did. Uh, is this Cammy next to him? I got to assume. All right, can't can't tell. She's in some serious uh, '70s beige ensemble. Because Deke is saying, "Look sharp, Cammy. Here come the two shooting stars that can't be stopped." Man, talk about a guy who's trying to uh, talk down on guys who are better than him to make himself seem cool. Like, hey, man, whatever. Sure, I lost, but they were showing off. Am I right? Like, yeah. Am I right? <laughs> But I do love uh, Biggs coming back with like, yeah, that's what we always say, Deke. And I didn't see anyone else proving us wrong today. And Biggs, now canonically, always rocking a cape. Always, 100%. He's always in his cape, man. I also love uh, the Jawas upset that no one wrecked. That is very (laughs) funny to me. They're like, (laughs) that's some good Jawa characterization, honestly. Yeah, where it's just like, no. The jaw was just come out here going, hey, did you hear those teen kids racing again? Oh, man, maybe one of them will crash. <laughs> Jawas, big fan of child death. <laughs> Means more salvage. What <laughs> teeny? Uh, but uh-oh, here comes a speeder on fire. And this speeder is really on fire. Oh, yeah. I mean, he crashes and burns here. Uh, we find yeah. out that this is a, a militia man. survives is amazing. It's a, they got the wreck of that thing. Yeah, I don't know how. I mean, Luke and Biggs bur- pull him out of this burning wreck. Because um, look at the wreck behind them in this last panel okay. on the bottom right. <laughs> it's just fire. Fire has <laughs> consumed this thing. And he's like, no, no, I'm all right, man. Yeah, Militia Scout. Now, this is interesting. This, this opens the door to Tatooine Militia. Which has been a thing in, like, other... Uh, especially in the older, like, Legends canon, which this technically is, uh, like, the Tatooine militia and, like, the militias of different worlds that aren't strictly under the control of the Empire is totally a thing. Well, because, I mean, Tatooine is often, you know, sort of seen, right, as, like, it's not that the Empire doesn't control as much as they just don't care about it. So in Star Wars Galactic Geography, we have yeah. the the core, the mid-rim, and the outer rim, right? Yeah. So yeah. Coruscant and, like, a lot of the, like, big populous planets are in the core. The mid-rim, you've got your, like, second-tier planets. You've got your, uh, you've got your like, Mandalores and things like that. And the outer rim, uh, you start getting into, like, your Tatooine, your Geonosis, your Hoth. Places that yeah. are, like, for the most part, pretty desolate. And once you get into the Outer Rim, the Empire, at least during this era, are just like, yeah, basically, yeah, we're in control and we'll show up and like act like we're in charge if we need to. But for yeah. the most part, we're not going to waste resources on worlds like isn't this. That, Tatooine isn't, that kind is of like we, this. isn't that kind of what we see in Andor where it's like, we don't really care about this until there's trouble. Right. And exactly. now we've got to watch that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I think that's sort of what it is where it's like, yeah, I mean, as long as Tatooine isn't actively causing us trouble. Uh, but oh, that requires the presence of a militia for yeah. the 
I mean, look, we can get into, like, the really awkward, like, race politics of Tusken Raiders here. Oh, uh, God. It it never ends, man. Mm-hmm. It never ends with that stuff. Uh, I also, I, when we go on the next page, I want to talk about this guy's faint little mustache. <laughs> There's a coloring error. It's got to be. And he just got a little bit of a, he's got a Vincent Price dash. He's got a Vincent Price dash. Uh, but the, but the, the, the most platinum blonde 70s do. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I mean, for for people living on a desert world, there's a shocking number of like very pale white people. <laughs> They're really, yeah, you would think they'd be darker skinned people. Every, you know, fair haired Luke Skywalker's rolling around the deserts of Tatooine. Look, sun bleached hair is totally a thing. I've got times where like sure. if I'm out in the sun too long, I get like little blonde patches here and there. But like, but yeah. Yeah. You also get burned. <laughs> I also turn into a lobster, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hey, man, we're Pacific Northwest people. We don't... Sun. <laughs> that's the wet stuff that falls from the sky, right? That's sun. No, that's, is that sun? <laughs> uh, and, uh, oh, no, man, what do we got here? It's it's fools smuggling blasters. So but now the sand people have the blasters. What we find out is that apparently there was a supply caravan that accidentally polluted a sacred well of the Tusken Raiders. Now, what those supplies what? were, were weapons and blasters. So when the Tuscans, admittedly angry that people stumbled into their sacred water pool, uh, d- destroyed that caravan and took all the weapons, suddenly you've got an extremely angry armed band of Tusken Raiders on the rampage. And man, are they armed because they just take out this one T-16 with a single blast here. They fatum it good. My big problem with this page here is that, so we have this explanation of what's happened, and then suddenly the, the kids and their hot rods are come under attack by the Tusken Raiders. But we never actually see the Tusken Raiders in this sequence. No, and also I love that all the kids are just like, all right, Get your guns. Let's take them down. Again, these are country bumpkin kids. Of course they all have guns. They're armed to the teeth, man. Uh, I want to talk about my new favorite character, Wendy. <laughs> Everybody Wendy. remember Wendy? Wendy the comms tech. <laughs> oh, I, I didn't bring a gun with me, but I did bring my radio. It's, the, that nerd, it's the nerd who brings the CV radio. Just think he looks cool doing it. But yeah, look, it turns out it's useful this time. Breaker, breaker, one nine. Come in, over. Ugh, Wendy and his radio again. Jesus. Oh, who, who told Wendy we were hanging out today? <laughs> and then, of course, he also uh, adds nothing here because he can't use the radio. So. No, too much atmospheric interference, of course. <laughs> you think this thing works, Luke? <laughs> this is just a sad, sad ploy to have an identity. Um... <laughs> Wendy, the radio guy. And that's his one panel. We'll never see Wendy again. I just, lo- I just, lo- there's some stuff. I'm like, what is this guy doing? And then when Luke called him Wendy, I just laughed at that. Okay, uh, but uh, yeah, and uh, by that time we got to, they got to stop these things because they could make their way to anchor it. I mean, the the thing is, if we don't stop them here and now, they're gonna like destroy the foundations of Tatooine, right? Like, mm-hmm. it seems to be the threat here. Well, yeah, and like the fact that. At any point, they can basically just, like, wreak havoc, assuming they have enough guns at any given point. Or, like, really speaks to the precarious nature of the relationships between the Tusken Raiders and the people of Tatooine. So these are heavily armed Tusken Raiders who are really doing some damage. But once Biggs and Luke are confronted by one, 
He just had, well, I want to talk about what does he have. It's his gaffy stick, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, Biggs calls it a gadderfy stick? Gadderfy stick, yeah. We've seen this a few Gaderfy. times. Yeah. They can't, they haven't fully settled on a definitive oh. name. Oh, no, John. What? Uh, how much do you want to know about Wendy? Uh-oh. Oh, no. There's a lot about Wendy? I want to know some. There's more I... than a little. I'll say that much. Oh, my God. Of course there is. <laughs> so, <laughs> he does appear can... in a deleted scene of A New Hope. Oh, does he? Yeah. I was, I was going, I thought they had made up one. We had, you know, Biggs and Cammy and uh, the, the other guy whose name uh, escapes me, even though he was just here. Uh, but this guy's also here? Mm-hmm. Uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi once rescued both Windy and a 12-year-old Luke Skywalker from a crate dragon after discovering the two unconscious in a standstorm. Wow. Uh, the character of Windy first appeared in some of the earliest drafts of Star Wars. The character did not make the cut to the final film, but appeared in deleted scenes and appeared in a number of Star Wars legend stories, uh, variously as Windom Marstrap or Windy Starkiller. Man... I love that Starkiller just keeps finding its way around the Star Wars universe. They just like, that name's so cool. We've got to find a use for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is also apparently a Webtoon Star Wars book that I'm actually not aware of. This looks like a Korean uh, book that Wendy no, appears no, no. as a character. In the original draft, Wendy destroyed the Death Star, actually. <laughs> No, just yeah. I man, I, I was. I will say, as 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 much as uh, as we know about Star Wars, the fact that they even got you on this character is. And actually, I'm. I might have to update Wikipedia because they don't actually mention his appearance in this issue on Wikipedia. Oh man, you talking about the beloved Windy scene from this comic? <laughs> I'm just saying, like they list all of his like they they mention they on the Wikipedia page they mention that he is mentioned in the book, uh, the princess, the scoundrel, and the farm boy, and yeah, okay. If, if they get a mention from that book, then we can the fact that he appears Ooh. on page should be included on the wiki. Yeah, I was gonna say this is a full on appearance now. Uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, this is a new one though, at least for me. Uh, yes. Poison. And the gaffy sticks? Yeah, so a couple of things about this page here. So I do love Big saying, blast them and their ability to pop up out of nowhere. <laughs> Establishing that that is not just a one-off in Star Wars. It's it just That's how they roll. Right. And no, the poison on a gaffy stick is unheard of. And calling it a gadurfy stick is also something we've seen in this comic before and goes back and forth. I was actually reading up on this on Wikipedia yesterday. Uh, yeah. The, it goes back and forth between Gadurfi and Gaffy. I think we've kind of like settled on Gaffy stick because Gadurfi sounds a little too close to General Gaddafi, who was a... Yeah. I, I'm not going to... A gonna great ex- guy. Uh, no. <laughs> Agreed. <No. laughs> Jesus. Man, you know, Gaddafi had a lot of good points. Um. <laughs> yes. Uh, no, uh, he was a Libyan... Lots of things. Um, yeah. He, he was He was not a good guy. Not a good dude. <laughs> a 
we'll leave it at that. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, so big Luke just blasts the shit out of this guy, though. Yeah, he, he gets I'm a sorry. good brickow. He, he gets yeah, he brickows him. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 based on what I see here, uh, his entire chest cavity was blown open probably by this. Um, right. Uh, but Biggs does get stabbed in the shoulder, and apparently, yes, the gaffy stick is poisoned. It's been specifically dipped in sandbat venom. Which sounds like a thing a Tuscan Raider might do, I don't know. It does, I just like, it's like, they didn't work hard on sandbat. It's Star Wars, John, moving on. <laughs> Some kind of sandbat? Yeah, I, but that's the thing I do love about names in Star Wars. Sometimes they're very elaborate, and sometimes they are extremely on the nose. Sometimes we get the Dianoga, sometimes we have Sandbats. Yeah, and sometimes we have Sleazebag, you know, the greatest named character in the history of Star Wars. And sometimes um, half the characters are named Starkiller. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's so I want to. I want to start keeping track of how many times they repurpose Starkiller, because it is nonstop. It's a lot, yeah. It's crazy. And it's it's uh, every generation has their. See, we read the original draft of the script too. <laughs> yeah, dude, that's like one of those. Like uh, I talk about this on uh, on on all of the podcasts I do, but the the commonly used nerd facts where it's like we all know. It's like, did you know it was originally Luke Starkiller? Mm-hmm. Did you know? Yes, Batman and Superman have the moms have the same name. Oh, and I know a guy named Zack Snyder who knows that very well. Um, <laughs> uh, but so, yeah, uh, they start flying away. They get into the Starhopper. Uh, Biggs is dying. Yeah. And Luke is like, don't worry, we'll get you home. But Biggs is like, but if we fly over the mountains, they'll shoot us down because they have all those guns. The only way to get back in time is to use Diablo Cut. Somebody saying Diablo in Star Wars it weirds me out. Yes, this is right up there with the salt and pepper shaker in terms of yeah. just like, how is the word Diablo used in any sort of context in Star Wars? Please explain well, that to is, me. This is the same thing as people who get bent out of shape when Han says, then I guess I'll see you in hell in Empire. And they go, well, what is hell in Star Wars? Mm-hmm. You're like, well, okay, yeah, sure. But like Diablo takes that even further, I feel like. You're like, hmm. Diablo being the Spanish word for devil. Right. So, so you, I mean, I'm saying that's one step removed where it's like, okay, I can understand that hell might be a ubiquitous concept that even though Han is saying hell, he may not mean the hell we know. He's sort of using it colloquially. Bad but place Diablo in the afterlife, takes, yeah. Right, exactly. But Diablo takes it to, okay, that is a specific earth language mm-hmm. description of a mythological character. Right, yeah. It's 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 Whoa. like it's like if a character in Star Wars is named like Hercules Jones or something. It's like okay, we need to unpack well, this. <laughs> many people have brought up the twin planets of Romulus and Remus in Star Trek. Yeah, that's another great example of that. Yeah, like interesting. <laughs> yeah, named after two Roman mythological figures. That okay? Let's. Well, and believe me, I've seen some techies bend over backwards going, "No, that's the universal tr- translator." interpreting the names of those things for you're like that's a big jump man i could almost believe that because we had a whole episode about how it can't do metaphors so maybe i don't know yeah (laughs) star trek gets away with a lot because of the universal translator logic um (laughs) yeah and i love that they every time they say diablo cut it's all 
caps bolded. Yeah. So Diablo Cut is this like pass under the mountains to basically fly through some caves yeah. to spit you out the other side. And no one's ever flown through it and survived. Guess what? They're going to fly through it and survive because they're in A New Hope. Because it's Luke Skywalker. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so oh. I do love this scene here of them flying through the cave and we get these like really hard right angles and this whole thing of just like Luke is maybe accessing some force powers here without realizing it. He's kind of like losing right. himself to the moment, becoming one with the ship. I do like that. I do like that, that like, okay, there would have been, it's not like New Hope all of a sudden. I've never even thought, no, he would have shown abilities time you know here and there mm -hmm. uh what i don't like is the this now feels very much not like claremont these thought bubbles that are very on the nose yeah yeah um like literally calling himself like up to now i've been a moisture farmer who plays around with a skyhopper and daydreams about being a star pilot this is going to take far more than that and there's no reason to believe i've got it yeah it's just like okay. really overstating all of the themes we've already built to in this moment like, yeah, we could just have a scene of Luke's like really upset face and get all of this because this is the other. Then you go to the next page and this description is fine. There's no more time to think as the vulnerable little craft sails in the heart of Diablo cut. That's all fine. Boy and Skyhopper must become as one or lose all. See that back to Claremont now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you can tell. Biggs is dying because he is just he's oh well he's melting based on what I see. I mean he's supposed to be sweating, but it looks like he is actively melting from that sand bat metal. His mustache is becoming more and more snidely whiplash on every page. <laughs> Luke, I don't have long. My mustache is drooping. <laughs> just super villain levels. Um <laughs> we were already kind of edging towards wacky racers back with all those sky hoppers. It's like, uh, no, the, the venom's taking him. <laughs> Dudley, do <they're> right. <laughs> oh, those monstrous Tuscan Raiders and their wacky racers' poisons. <laughs> He's been poisoned with wacky racer venom. Uh, <laughs> now, Hanna-Barbera swears those are different characters. Yes, <laughs> but they're wrong. I, yeah, when I say impossible. Uh, so, yes. Uh, and yet... But <laughs> Once again, here are all the Tuscan Raiders shooting at them. Thank God. I mean, they, they got hit with the sandbag venom, but thank God they they faced down the one guy who didn't have a gun, apparently. <laughs> well, look, it, whether or not the, the Tuscan Raiders are even, like, used to using blasters, like, they're used to just clubbing teenagers to death in the middle of the desert. And, and as we see in uh, uh, episode one when they're shooting at the pod rages, they have, like, rifles like with bullets right they have uh what's called slug throwers yeah 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 there you go i go some kind of bullet rifle and of course you go that's what they're called um <laughs> i was just like man they just have regular guns um yeah but the prize favors the sky hopper mm -hmm. yeah they go sailing in past in the sand people's memory no machine has ever roared out of the diablo cut but they still get a lucky shot off. Uh, they hit the star hopper and it goes crashing down. But thankfully they land just outside the Lars farmstead. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, immediately injured Biggs, you know, and it's still Uncle Owen going, What are you doing? Have you gone mad, young man? Oh, boy. Just nonstop dad dialogue from this guy. And just, just as another reminder, 
to our our our, our viewers slash listeners. Uh, he is days from death at this point, though. Yeah, Owen will be no. dead like two days later. So. In, in four days, he will be a smoking skeleton on his front porch. <laughs> uh, and then, oh boy, is this this is very Claremont the twilight. It is over with the militia's arrival. The Tuscan raiders are swiftly turned back into the... Is that Yunland? Junland. Junland? Okay. Uh, Luke stands alone, thinking. Thinking of Diablo Cut. Of the way he somehow reached deep within himself there and did the impossible. It was almost like some kind of test. And whatever else comes out of today, I feel like I passed it. Passed this uh crucible. And then he looks right at the read. No, I will say, uh, this is one of my only uh, notes about Luke looks weird as hell in this panel. Yeah, for the most part over this issue, the art's been pretty consistent, and I appreciate that. Obviously, yeah. like, it doesn't look exactly like Mark Hamill, and, like, we pointed out the weirdness well, with Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru, but... But he, here he looks like Luke in the holiday special, where they've really yeah. overdone that. Yeah. Mark Hamill looking like Dorothy Hamill as the... <laughs> I think it was the How Did This Get Made uh, line. Uh, yeah. So there you go. And then, once again, guys, remember Star Wars? Two issues in a row, Gurgoni, of splash pages with best of moments from A New Hope. Yeah, because we get this whole sequence of just like, of course he will leave the planet, reluctantly at first, as events beyond his home planet conspire to sweep him into the greatest adventure of all. You know, that one you all love, Star Wars. Yeah. It's still in theaters now. Go see it again. <laughs> uh, and there's even this this uh, this haunting Darth Vader helmet where he's basically asking, will I ever be in this book again? Oh, Vader will be back in this book. Don't you worry. I but, can't wait, man. I will say one of my big notes is a significant lack of Vader in this book. He was busy spinning out in space. He's got like... <laughs> I would love it if when we find him, he it, it, the first time we see him, he's like, oh, thank God I finally stopped spinning. <laughs> Jeez. It's been months. <laughs> oh, oh, boy. Oh, I've run out of sick bags. Um, <laughs> the suit can only hold so much. <laughs> you think this, imagine what this thing smells like. I've been barfing into this helmet for months. Uh, <laughs> Ugh, gross. That's yeah. something that has always bugged me. Is like, what happens if Darth Vader needs to sneeze? <laughs> oh, no. Just all over like, the lenses. Yeah, he's just like in the middle of a meeting. He's like, oh, oh I have to go and take care. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's not the most functional outfit. I mean, I know it's keeping him alive, but also... Yeah. Uh, and then, once again, Luke is pulled out of his daydream by, hey, hey, kid, don't turn space happy on me. I don't know what that means. Uh, you know, you know, yeah, don't get nuts. Is that a masturbation thing? I think that might be a masturbation thing. Well, once again, another character interrupts Luke as his hand is drifting towards his pants, right? <laughs> Please, not in, not in my chair, man. Jesus. <laughs> you can do it in the back. Uh, Lando's old cloak closet if you need to <laughs> well that that will not be the first time that there have been uh, certain bodily fluids <laughs> uh, that place is a mess yeah do you think by the way do you think that Han just kept finding another storage of capes oh yeah 100% 100% <laughs> 
Chewie, this is the third cape closet we'd have, we've had to clear out. All, all of those smuggling compartments were really just cape storage that he ended up having to empty. Oh, for the love of God, more capes. <laughs> <laughs> What's Lando's mailing address again? We got to send these back to him. <laughs> uh, yeah, and so the Han's relieving Luke, uh, but Luke's like, no, man, I like flying the ship. It's pretty cool. I do like this line here because uh, Han says hours at the controls of a deep space out in deep space can be pretty boring. And Luke responding with maybe someday, Han, maybe in years. But right now I'm exactly where I want to be. I love this idea that like Luke really hasn't lost some of his like wonder at the galaxy just yet. No, because we're still just like a couple weeks after a new hope at this point. Uh, And I do really like the last, uh, the stars look cool and the millennium Falcon looks cool as once again, I hope future artists of this book take note. The, the, the exhaust trails do a lot to sell the speed of the ships. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, Well, strap in John, because from here on out, we're going to be getting back to Infantino and some of the art is uh, interesting to say the least, man. Infantino, Great, but I don't think he was doing his his uh, top work on this book. I um, hope you like pointy eyebrows. That's all I'm saying. Oh, man, do I ever. Well, I see promised here next hand, or next issue, the hand of the empire. Yeah, it's, it's coming. It's got many malevolent fingers and a, a, a doom-bringing thumb. In 3D, I can only imagine. Because, <laughs> yeah, that was issue number 17. Obviously, like, a little bit of a sidetrack. We get a little bit more of Luke back on Tatooine. I think it's really more of a mood setter than anything else. Um, it is. And actually, it's one, like we were saying, it's one of the more enjoyable stories because uh, the book always has to tread water. But this one is just acknowledging here's a memory. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't feel as much like it should be progressing, but it's treading water. So right. this is probably the best individual issue we've read, I think. I really, really enjoy it. Um, I will say it's doing nothing to set up what's coming next because the next six issues are going to be an extended arc. And we haven't had one of those in a while. And the last Let one we had you. is a, was a mess. So It was a mess. Do we continue with our robot cyborg bounty hunter? No. We will be getting okay. back to Valance eventually, but not it's immediately. It's interesting that last issue really set him up to be like, ooh. And then it's so interesting that quickly they're like, eh. But I will say in... And before we get to Empire, there will be, uh, you wanted more Darth Vader. What if you got Darth Vader versus Valance, huh? Oh, now we're talking. And now we'll we t- are talking. We'll talk about it when we get there, but I'm excited to get to that point, that's too. That's some cyborg on cyborg action right oh, there. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Though, of <laughs> course, we didn't know that's what was up with Darth Vader at the time, so. Yeah, it's true. Never mind. <laughs> I'm sorry. I have to forget everything I know about Star Wars. Basically. I know. It's really tough to like it, contextualize it, some of this stuff. It's to be so steeped in the mythos of this and then be like, right, right. Only that first movie exists. <laughs> well, and at this point, uh, I believe the holiday special is just about to air. So we'll also have that oh. going forward. <laughs> oh, well, do they ever pull any of that into here? <sighs> Life Day. <laughs> I, you know what? I'm okay with Life Day being a thing. You don't have to acknowledge this holiday special, but like the idea that the Wookiees have a holiday called Life Day. I'm okay if that's what survives from that. Okay. And obviously Boba Fett. And Boba Fett. The, the only objectively good thing in that is the <laughs> Boba Fett cartoon. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. We can leave Lumpy and Itchy on the cutting room floor. <laughs> I was just talking to somebody about this, and they were saying, if Chewy is short for Chewbacca, are Lumpy and Itchy short for longer Wookiee names? I just thought of this uh, the other day as well. Uh, I forget what the context was where it came up, uh, but I'm pretty sure uh, Itchy is short for Ichabald, and... Mm. <laughs> And lumpy just means lumpy because uh, Wookiees don't get to choose their names until they come of age. Oh, there you go. There you go. All right. <laughs> Finally, these questions are answered. <laughs> well, uh, well, let us uh, make sure you uh, like and subscribe. Ring that bell for notifications on YouTube. Leave a five-star review on uh, whatever podcatching software you use uh, to keep the show uh, going and support it and such like that. And yeah over to our Podbean patron page to help back the show uh, where you get cool exclusive content from this show as well as all the shows on the Punch-Up Entertainment Network. And we have some exciting Star Wars-related content coming there in the near future. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and if you're just listening to the audio version of this, please, uh, like John said at the top, come check us out over on YouTube. You can read along the comic with us. We put the panels up on the screen and you can see kind of more of the visuals that we're talking about. Because it's it's can be difficult sometimes to describe the visual medium in as much context as we need. So if we've you want to watch along. While. We've been doing, we've been talking about comics on podcast for a while and always have been like, art looks real good. You guys real good. <laughs> you should look at it. It's great. <laughs> art. Good. Art. Good. Yes. Um, and of course you can find a whole host of other shows on the punch up entertainment network, including uh, John Campbell and friend of the show, Brendan Jones talking about monsters every week on Brendan Jones, meet the monsters uh, we're, we're into the hammer era. As of oh, now, bringing the hammer down. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. All the, the brightly colored red blood you can handle. Look, if you want to see Grand Moff Tarkin and Count Dooku facing off week to week in the yeah. Dracula series of movies. Pretty much. Yeah. You get <laughs> you get one or one or the other at the very least in almost every movie. So Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Uh, and of course, you can find more of my stuff over on Material Components, where I'm running a tabletop RPG that you can listen to most weeks. And uh, we have plenty of other shows as well. Come check us out. Uh, you can find all the shows also on YouTube or just Punch Up Entertainment, wherever fine podcasts are produced. Indeed. But I think that's going to wrap up things. Absolutely. I have been Mike Gergoni. And I'm John Campbell. And as always, may the panel be with you. 